Why is Hugh Hefner in my head? Go away. <laughs> Welcome to episode 53 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Mr. Daniel Foley. Hello, it's me again. And by a very special guest. In his previous roles at Games Workshop, he's been a studio army painter, Warhammer TV presenter, and even Morpheus from The Matrix. Famous for his love of tea and biscuits and being one of the friendliest faces in Warhammer, it's Chris Peach. Hey, let me tell you why I'm here. <laughs> wow, yeah, <laughs> nice segue. I like that. Thanks. I forgot. I keep forgetting about the Morpheus thing. Uh, yeah, that was fun. That was different. <laughs> is, is, that because, is that because you took the blue pill? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it, was, it was a blue space bean and it was really hard to swallow. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> choked on it. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's great. Uh, no problem. So, so welcome to the show, Peachy. It's uh, it's great to have you here. Um, I mean, I think recently you've perhaps been a little inundated with people requesting your time and attention since you've been uh, freed <laughs> up a little more to... Yeah, around. mostly the wife. <laughs> She's like, when are you, when are you, yeah. when are you actually going to talk? <laughs> Sorry, darling. Not now, I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Busy. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, um, thank you. Yeah, it's it's nice to chat. That's what I, that's what I like doing. It's one of my hobbies. Talking, probably too much. Oh, yeah, it's a great hobby. I mean, it's what we do here <laughs> all the time, and uh, especially when we get to talk hobby. So yeah, yeah. and we've um, uh, we've we've asked you on because uh, we thought you'd just be a great you know person to talk to really and talk all about the uh, you know the our sort of side of the hobby as it were. You know, narrative play. And fun hobby projects just yeah, yeah. really sort of deep diving into some of the things that you get up to because i mean it's fair to say uh your personal hobby projects usually tend to be uh, quite deep endeavors with lots of uh, fun yeah. little extras and effort that goes into them it's not just you know free colors and based for you is it <laughs> no 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 it's, it's about the story i'm driven mainly by the story and uh yeah Obviously, they say there's many ways to play. Uh, narrative is the only way for me. I've tried tournament play. I'm just naff at it. <laughs> I'm not built for <laughs> maths and meta and stuff like that. I'm built for story. I mean, I'm not a great author. I'm not a great story writer or anything like that. I just like making stuff and giving them backgrounds and giving them names and then getting sad when they die. Because, uh, you know, you've got attached to your squads or you've got attached but, to your tank. I've got this image of you giving, like, you know, funerals to certainly. Oh, I do. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I model. Wow. I model graves. (laughs) (laughs) Jedi funerals in the back garden littered with tiny little. (laughs) Yeah. I, I go onto uh, Amazon and buy small uh, wooden long ships and then put them down (laughs) in the canal and set fire to them. (laughs) It's like, you did so well. Lo, there do I see my mother, my father. <laughs> 92 times to do that. <laughs> yeah, it get, get, does get expensive. It's those wooden ships. I need to get better at building them. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. Segwayed in a half there. <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, you're known for it these days. It's, uh, I'm surprised anyone <laughs> yeah. ever likes to keep you on track at Wild TV because no, you're obviously carrying each other with it now at the painting phase. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's bad. <laughs> So um, I think that's probably the best place to start. Obviously, mm. um, since uh, moving away from Games Workshop itself, you've now moved on to working with um, uh, Patrick and uh, Jeff, isn't it? That's right, yeah, Pat and Jeff. Yeah, yeah. yeah Pat and Jeff over at the Painting Phase. So uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, that these days and what it's obvious that you're up to? Yeah, so I mean, I was with Workshop for 20 plus years. I, I, I can't remember if it's 20, 21, 22. It's around that ballpark anyway. And, you know, I had a long, long service there. Lots of fond memories. Um, but sometimes you get stuck in a rut and you kind of get quite a repetitive work ethic going on and you, you're you not being pushed or stretched. And there's many reasons for, for moving on. And the main one for me was from a creative point of view. I've, I've, didn't feel like I was pushing myself enough from a presenting point of view and a uh, painter point of view and all the other stuff and there's lots of people at workshop uh, that I miss greatly and I miss a lot of the uh, the, the camar- camaraderie that we used to have in the office and stuff so that was quite a sacrifice uh, to go off and lone gun it if you like um, but I worked with Pat for a time in, in the studio he was the battle report editor a uh, very talented uh, videographer and editor. Uh, he knows his stuff. And I was having a bit of a sort of a, a, a Barney at the time. And it was a little bit after COVID. And he just grabbed me. I was like, do you want to come work with me? Because I've got, I've got, I'm starting this channel. I'd seen the channel. I was like, you know what? Breath of fresh air. I know it's a bit radical. I'm in my 40s. Maybe it's my midlife crisis. But um, I, I had an amical. Um, you already had the motorbike, so. I already had the motorbike. I mean, I had that when I was 20. So I thought, well, I'll be dead by 40 if it's a midlife crisis. So why not? <laughs> you know, go for it. Um, so, so yeah. So I, I said to Pat, yeah, I'll do it. Left Amica Weaver Workshop, said goodbye to all my buddies. Got even given a sword with my name engraved on it and the venture. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that I know. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so regardless of what people say, like, oh, I heard Peachy was fired. I was like, yeah, they wouldn't give me a sword if they fired me, would they? <laughs> Unless it was to kill myself. Oh, no, that's how it depends how aggressively that makes... they, uh, they fired you. <laughs> Yeah, because that makes sense though. Because they handed it to me and said, "Do the gentleman so thing," the, and I just did. Went. They hand it to your point. <laughs> did, did they hand it to your point first. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I was such an idiot. I, I just, I, I bet they're all there going, "Oh, how did we get that so wrong?" You just went. You just took the sword and went. <laughs> <laughs> but now it was great. So, um, so I said goodbye. I had a leaving do, um, uh, and. Yeah, I'm going to miss lots of stuff about not working there. Um, and the team that started as well, I was getting you know, really fond of working with those guys, the, the newer presenters. Uh, I feel a little bit bad that maybe the only hands thing might have been of my doing. Maybe Rhodes probably didn't help that either. But that is not my place to make comments on that. I've had, I have my opinions and theories and stuff like that. But it was like, yeah, I probably didn't help. So sorry. <laughs> sorry about that, guys. Um, and then I went to join Pat. And what I think the big thing with the painting phase is when you work in a big business and it makes money uh, and you work in a market department that promotes the products, you have to promote the products as best as you can. And sometimes you don't always agree with the product. Sometimes you don't always agree with the method. And often you will be given tasks by people that don't understand what it is you do, but they've been given a message to do a thing. And it gets quite frustrating. And sometimes you bang your head against the wall. And 
um, from an army painting point of view and teaching people how to paint because that's really all I care about is teaching people how to paint toy soldiers and get things on the tabletop and one of the things I always wanted to do was show folks how to get sets like kill team or into you know into dark kill team war cry anything like that painted over a weekend um, bare minimum sort of colors that you can eventually add to as as you play the game so you just get some stuff built up painted to a tabletop standard and be playing almost instantly and the reason why i wanted to move to that with when i was at one more tv but we really didn't touch on it um was silver tower came out and i remember so many people never paint painting their sets and same with blackstone fortress they had all this really cool detail models um and i'd be hearing stories like oh it's been two months and i'm waiting to play a game with my mates but we've not got the set painted yet i was like god there must be a better way of like communicating that you don't have to have them as heavy metal sort of exhibition pieces um and i remember doing a thing for silver tower later on because we were going to get a load of stuff painted for the stores um, and it was with like basically doing some real simple paint jobs sending to china and then they would have like a team of people that would just paint loads really quickly and then send them to all the retail stores that was a plan it never came to fruition but it was an idea and it made sense uh, and I came up with a really sort of simple way of getting like everything in Silver Tower painted up. And I was like, we could have done this as a video. Um, and that was the ethos I took into the painting phase going, right, most people in the hobby aren't Juan Hidalguez or Richard Gray that want to spend 120 hours painting a single figure. Most of us want to get things played with straight away. Um, we probably have a couple of hours in the evening, parents, kids, college students university students just people in full-time work how do how do how can i help them get stuff on the tabletop so they can be playing games and then add to it later on and that was what we did with the painting phase is paint guides that get your stuff on the tabletop they're a bit rough and ready a bit loosey-goosey but then there's the extra step stage that if you feel that you want to add to them over time there's that opportunity to do it but there's no sort of pressure to do it if that makes sense um so yeah no, we, we got slated a bit at the start because people are like oh my god this is awful it's like wow it's tabletop standard i mean i literally did that mm. man in seven minutes that paint job seven minutes long and if i want to add to it i can you know spend another half hour on him if i really wanted to um or or longer um and recently uh, this week in fact or start of last weekend of the start of this weekend of last week was we painted up angron and i wanted to get angron painted in less than six hours how do you go about painting angron in less than six hours it still looks good on the tabletop um and ties in with the wild eaters arm we've done as a previous video um and yeah it's you can do anything in the time that you're given and that's what the channel's aimed at is helping the I'd, I'd probably argue the majority of hobbyists out there get stuff on the tabletop so they can play games and have fun because that's what we're really here for is painting and playing and having fun yeah, I, I like the context. Sorry, I went on what you. Do. No, I, I like the context of what you do, and it's quite nice to see those shorts, especially being used as sort of this is uh, almost like an intro into what could be done yeah. further on yeah. down the yeah, which is a really nice way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, talking of the shorts, I keep mean, getting. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, Tony, what are you saying? No, uh, no, no. I go and tell us about the shorts. 
Oh, I was going to say on on the YouTube shorts, we we keep getting told that I sound like Gordon Ramsay, and I don't know why because I can't hear it and I can't see it. Uh, so we've lent into that now. So we're going full Gordon Ramsay with our shorts. So, um, but they're they're really interesting because they're a good way of getting people to the channel because it's like a quick. You only get a minute on TikTok for a short, so it's a really good way yeah. of like going. Hey, is a really quick way of. And we do those. And what I find really interesting is we do those in two parts. Certainly early days, where like the interdark set, like the breacher, we did like the bat, the tabletop standard or battle ready, if you like, and then the next steps. And the tabletop one gets the most views, which is really interesting. So that tells me that people. Are more interested in getting stuff done on the tabletop quickly and some people watch the extra steps if they want to but it's usually half less than half um that are actually into the extra steps which i find fascinating uh, which drives me to do more tabletop level stuff really because that's clearly what people want so yeah it's great i mean so i can say that one of the things i really appreciate about the painting fit stuff is that it's these tutorials that don't at some point inevitably tell you to crack out an airbrush yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah. it's it's either here's how to do this thing really well and at some mm. point within that it'll be like right now we get out the airbrush and we're gonna do this this and this or conversely it'll be a video that talks about getting an army painted really quickly and getting battle ready really quickly and what they're yeah. really talking about is crack out the airbrush and just yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah 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 being able to do a, a quick you know, tabletop ready method of painting without needing to have the investment of airbrushing yeah. is something which I think you do incredibly well and actually there isn't that much of out there not so yeah. as much as I would have expected there to be yeah yeah it's uh, I guess I'll go with the lowest common well the, yeah the, the most common denominator which is I don't assume people have an airbrush I don't have an airbrush yeah. I've been passed on an airbrush now and I need to get a compressor and I won't be bringing that into every video that will be like hey watch pt try and learn how to use an airbrush this is a very different tutorial but i always try and go with the lowest level so i'll be like i've undercoated this gray or i've undercoated this black if you don't have this color just base coat it after if you have an airbrush use an airbrush but for this I've gone with a spray and now we're going to apply everything with a brush because surely most people can get a hold of a brush somewhere along the line an airbrush not so easy there's cost involved not only does the airbrush cost a lot but then you've got to get the compressor as well so i always try and keep like you say keep to the uh, the levels of the majority of people I, I, I don't know if that's the majority of people maybe everyone has an airbrush at home i don't know maybe i'm just saying yeah. they've got them. Uh, why don't you have one i've got six secretly stored all over my house I can't move one in a holster yeah. yeah yeah that's it on the side on your belt just in case yeah <laughs> classic yeah, no, it, games workshop hand flavor Oh. Yeah, oh, I used to love that. I used to use that all the time for under base coating, <laughs> undercoating models. But it was it was so hit and miss that thing was so hit and miss. So I remember having it one that was perfect. It, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Shake the can. It's still it's still promising, isn't it? Yeah, we used to get like so many of those flamer. What were they? they weren't airbrushes? They were just spray no, guns. Yeah, they were spray sort guns. of like spray guns. Yeah, and I had one it was like my crown jewel and it was it never failed me and it always because i used to use it to undercoat a lot of models with like scorch brown or uh, dryad bark because i used to do that as like a i don't have to paint the boots and leather on straps because it's already done um so i used to use it for that all the time and then someone in the department borrowed it i think it was Rhodes. i think it was Rhodes. or it was baton it was one of the two and they didn't clean it out properly and it was never the same 
and I just had to get rid. And I just I hated I hated them from then onwards. That's why I left Games Workshop. No, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> big fat lie. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, but, but, so yeah, it's so it sounds great. All the stuff you've been doing over at the Painting Biz, and I definitely, you know, suggest anyone go check it out if they haven't done already. Because I've been watching along with sort of, you know, everything about each week, and it's great. You know, I think it's really yeah, insightful. Yeah. I think it's really friendly and approachable, and I think you always have a great time. You know, and it's just oh, really inviting. Yeah. It's it's got the vibes of the old sort of like hangout and hobby from one of yeah, into it, yeah, but yeah. almost almost more personal because there is that removed company sheen you know yes yeah <laughs> like yeah. you say about having to get excited about every product every week yeah uh, uh, so yeah. you just get genuinely excited about whatever's exciting you at the time yeah absolutely yeah and use the right paint at the time as well that might not necessarily be a citadel paint uh, that's been the mm. hardest thing for me actually is uh unlearning because uh, i've been using citadel paints for decades um and i always and that was my mantra when i was in the army painting team and Warmer TV was that's kind of the stuff you use because you've got to sell it. Um, mm. And I, I was very used to it, so I knew all the properties, I knew what they they were good for, and what what you might need a little bit of like a tweak with. Um, and then just getting pro acrylics, bold titanium white, and having my mind blown that I could thin this white down with so much water and it still covers with an opaque covering. I couldn't get my head around it. I was like, this is not right. I don't understand. I sh this should be really thin now uh so it's been interesting um i'm still getting my head around it i still default to citadel paints because i know them and i understand them and i'm very familiar with them but as time goes on i'll introduce more ranges i've been playing around with army painter stuff i've been playing around with ak stuff pro acryl stuff some green stuff world stuff yeah they all have their uh i guess things going off in the background for like different reasons but I don't care about that. I, I'm interested about painting toy soldiers, and if they have the best mm. green, I'll use their green, regardless of whether they stole someone's image. Um, I'm not there to to make judgments on their political stances or whatever. I just like I really like that green. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's a nice. I didn't green. know paint was so controversial. Oh, it, oh, yeah. There's a minefield depending on who's trending, who's not, and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just there's, paint. There's just so many layers <laughs> to paint. There is, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so yeah, it's just interesting trying out different colours and different um, stuff. I didn't even mention Vallejo. They, they, they've got some good paints as well. But yeah, lots of cool things. My head is spinning and I'm struggling. What I do actually is the top tip: is I, I write my script and I use Citadel colours as my bases, and then I go right. What's the closest silver to Iron Hand Steel that's not Games Workshop? Right, let's pick these five different brands because I know that colour and I know what it does, but I, I feel like I should break up a bit and try different colours. Not for the sake of it, mm. just to, to, to see if they're any better. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. So, yeah, and I'll say that as well. I'll say, this is a rubbish paint, don't use it. Well, I've not had to do that yet. Except that That's army good. paint to Wolf Grey spray. That was god awful. I don't know what happened with that. Uh, that was when I did the Cadian army and it just died. It just fizzled out. It was like an old man coughing his last breath. <laughs> Just like nothing came out. It was just like, what is going on here? It wasn't even that cold, so it wasn't the temperature. It was just a spray. It was just a dodgy spray. So, well, the paint was fine. No, the actual pot paint, army painter, wolf grey, very nice. Anyway, yeah, sorry. But go on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's um, what I do. So, talking then about you know obviously your like personal projects and things you've worked on over over the years like you know mm. these days now um painting bears obviously you're blasting through new releases all the time for things to pop the channel 
when you're yeah. a studio painter, again, you know, just getting through stuff um, for um, the studio. What's been some of your favorite projects that have actually like your own personal projects that you've been able to put time and effort into? It's quite a few. I mean, uh, certainly from a 40K point of view, and what's really annoying is I've never played a game with either of these two forces. Um, and I've put a lot of like time and effort into them. So I've got the Gene Stealer Cool um, army that I started. And it all came from, I was doing a kill team and I had, I had, a, test, I had a random high, uh, near fight hybrid. Um, on my desk and I think at the time we were doing for Warmer TV some of the Kill Team videos because that was when Kill Team first came out and they had um, I think it was Skitari versus Neophytes um, and I just built one up and I was playing around with like colours and I was like oh I really like yellow let's spray it yellow and see if I can paint a model without no edge highlighting and no layering and just use yellow and washes and dry brushes and I was really pleased with it because I, I sprayed the whole thing yellow and I used like different like lighter tones of shade on like the whole of the model and a slightly darker shade on like the armor, a slightly darker shade on like the leather and then like an all over dry brush then picking out some bits here and there and I was like oh it looks wicked can I do a kill team of this I did a kill team of it um, and then I started making up like my own sort of because I do this because I, I made the Venturely Nobles back in the day people are probably bored hearing about oh it's Peach talking about the Venturely Nobles but I, I did a random sort of project it was like um, there is a point but i'm not just going sidetracked here for a different collection um but yeah there's a random sort of like battle force challenge i built these venturely enables then they became law and canon and they placed them on the gal uh, galactic map and it was like eastern fringe kind of blown McCrag. and i was like right i'm gonna now focus my army around this area so any game any new armies i do or any adversaries will be around this area um, and I've always liked the Argent Shroud. I've really liked the Gene Stealer Courts. And one of the Gene Stealer Court worlds is a place called Salem, which is quite close to Ventrilli. I was like, that makes perfect sense. I've been told now that Salem's a dead world and no one lives on it, but not in my head. There's still hive cities on there that's got Gene Stealer Courts, or they've moved along and they've gone to other agri worlds and whatever, or mining worlds. Um, so my Gene Stealer Court came from Salem I came up with some background for them why they're there why they go on to different places they're all in yellow sort of suits because they're industrial miners and stuff like that I started building up things like other vehicles and one of the things I wanted to do with the Gene Stealer Court vehicles was not make them regimented and make them imagine when the idea literally came was I was sat looking outside at the car park and every vehicle was a different color and I was like imagine if you know think you know it all goes bad and they're being attacked by an imperial they all have to grab a vehicle and stick guns on it you go to the car park there's not one car that's the same make and the same color so that was my theory with doing the genius of the court vehicles it could sounds eclectic but actually if you tone them down a bit and have like a similar kind of final dry brush and dirt effect and weathering it kind of works really well so i had like a red rock grinder i had a dark blue rock grinder i had a white uh achilles ridge runner and then all my motorcycles i was like i'll go to a lot of motorcycle garages to get my bike repaired they're all in different colors so every single motorcycle is a different color the quad bike i got inspired by john deere quad uh so like, i was like john deere tractors are great because they're green with like yellow wheel rims i'm going to do that for my quad because i've seen them before um, so I went agri world like levels and I was just like, you know, playing around and but the, the unifying thing is all the yellow hazmat suits. Um, so all the crew are in yellow and it kind of unifies it together through that. 
Um, and then I started like going, right, I want a military sort of detachment now. So I'm getting brood infantry. Um, I want commanders in charge. Of that. I want banner bearers. I, you know, I could legitimately use this as an Imperial Guard army as well as a Gene Civil Court army. Um, and then they brought out the, oh, I forget what they're called now. It was a range of books, not Dark of Omens. It was the ones before. Psychic Awakening, that was it. And there was the yeah. Tau book. Um, and in there, there's some extra rules of using like mainly... Uh, Imperial Guard stuff for Gene Sealer Court. I was like, wicked! I can stick all sorts. And then some great spark said to me, hey, oh, sorry, you're going to say something there, Dan. What, you're right. No, I was going to say that was a greater good just for which book. Greater good, thank you. Yes. That's all right. I've just, I've I, just it thought, I, I just thought in my head, I was like, now I've got these images of Gene Sealer Courts going around with straw hats and dungarees on with the tractors, which <laughs> I love the idea of. <laughs> yeah, a little Absolutely. bit of like. Uh, straw hanging out the mouth yeah <laughs> all right there my lad how you doing uh but yeah so i i started doing this as like initially it was like a kill team and then someone said oh um we're looking at doing an apocalypse game i'm gonna get you laura simon i think john ashton some others and we're gonna uh, do an apocalypse like you know tailor four games thing i was like i'm in i was like yeah so we know you've got a kill team um i know you've not done an army yet but could you turn that kill team into a, an apocalypse army, I was like, uh, "That's quite an ask, but sure." <laughs> Whereas everyone else, I don't, I don't, no word of, yeah, I did definitely. Everyone else is just like, "I'm doing knights and I'm doing three models," and the other guys like, "I've already painted an army. I'm just going to add one vehicle to it." I was like, "Oh great, I drew the short straw here," but it never happened, which was a shame. Um, it got canned for whatever reason, but I'd built up a decent size army from doing it because I was just like give myself deadlines and stuff and give myself narratives to the point where like to speed things along and I'm really pleased with it even though it was like to speed it along I got about I think five Lehman Ross battle tanks got them all built up and I wanted my um, military arm to have black vehicles um, with like bright because I've got yellow with red markings on the neophyte so i was like you know what let's have yellow and red markings on the tank so i'm doing black dry brushing really quickly um and do these striking markings on them and they look great but then it needed something else so that's when i started doing like pin-up art of like weird pin-up style gene steel occultists holding bombs or claws <laughs> and stuff like that and they called him one like brenda and the one called claudette <laughs> that was the name of the cannon uh, the, the tanks and stuff so yeah it got got a bit silly um but i just really enjoyed it really delved into it and i was just like going yep so i've got the military side i've got like the mining so side they're all coming don't, together don't worry about it pg you're in good company for people with uh, funnily named <laughs> no, i'm tanks. not saying any well uh, yeah all my <laughs> tanks are named after disney princesses Oh, mega nice tell me you've got like a giant bane blade that's white called snow white please no i've got so my hydras are elsa and anna um, oh nice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. then my uh i'm trying to think what else i've got i've got jasmine tiger lily you know the the usual <laughs> yeah i need I love more it. princesses i'm running out of films i mean there's more coming out surely there's always gonna be a yeah. new princess for disney you you'll never run out of names uh, but yeah, so that was that was the GTC the Court Army. It was just there's a random planet, so it's going to be there next to Ventrilia, and I still need to do a squad of Ventrilians as uh, GTC the Courtists as well. That's that's on the cards. That would be nice. And then the um, over lockdown, um, we were asked on live to do an army. And I was like, well, you know, send you the stuff if you paint it up on live whilst doing it. So I was like. I've always wanted to do an Argent Shroud army, and I was so lucky that the Argent Shroud is so close to McCrag 
and <laughs> Ventrilia. And I was like, that, that was meant to happen. <laughs> but to tie them in with my I Ventrilians, mean, the army. I mean, you, you say you're lucky. You're the only person pretty much in the world that's kind of like, oh, I'm so fortunate that my army that's now part of the law happens to have been placed <laughs> next to the place where I can use the Ardent Shroud. I'm sure yeah, other people have that that. problem all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't make that happen at all, honest. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So yes, I I tied them in with my ventures by giving like magenta robes instead of white. I quite like the white robes; it was cool. It's very knightly. But yeah, to tie them in, and yeah, I just had a lot of fun with them. I I, I guess I went down the roots of uh, the, the the mind space of um, not trying to do a sister a pure sister battle arm. It was just like a nice collection that I could add to my Ventrillians and I want to do like what I call moving marines which I'll get to in a minute too so I did like a Bane Blade and I did like because they don't do Fraturus Militia anymore um, so I started making my own I just used them as Imperial Guard squads and I just started doing like it was a mix of Guard and Skitari and Empire bits and just making like a squad of mad looking Space Knights but not like we're not talking space marines we're just talking like guys with pantaloons and like big puffy jackets with like helmets and las guns and i was like yeah they can be my fraturus militia they'll go in the bane blade i've got like the big one with the uh, storm lord i think it is with the big cannons on the side for, like you know carrying them up to 50 troops and stuff uh, i used unith arutas or however you say a name pulpit to go on the top of the bane blade uh so yeah i just started like going right down the, the veins of just like i just want to play lots of cool games with lots of cool stuff and crusade was new at this point as well to me because that's when ninth come out and lockdown had hit and i built this army and then me and wade on live kept talking about his flesh terrors versus my ardent shroud it was the the beef up that never happened uh which is such a shame one day i'm sure it will um but yeah we kept like finding stories of like where the argent shroud had got one over on the uh, flesh terrors and then he'd find some like counter arguments somewhere in the law they'll be like no i think you'll find it guys point this happened and your uh your your sisters are snitches and snitches get stitches mate and i'm like oh great <laughs> uh so yeah trying to trying to win a word argument with wade was very difficult um but yeah it was um so yeah i, I, I think they're my latest projects uh, i've done lots of the stuff like small scary stuff like necromunda kill team and stuff but certainly from a a large scale point of view um i did these two big collections i've never played a game of it and that's where my head changed a bit from doing big armies to doing skirmishes because i, I remember uh, i was talking about on like twitter or instagram going you know I'm, don't really do that much anymore um but i'm looking at doing skirmish and someone was like oh it's a real shame you know you, you do a lot of armies you're quite inspired i was like i'm not painting any less i'm just not painting the so much for the same collection so i could scratch mm. more riches because i'm still painting lots of stuff each year but i get to like i've never done an orc army and i'm not a massive fan of orcs but i love the art i love the models i love the background i just don't like painting green skin hey i could paint 10 commandos and that's that's that is that done I don't have to touch it ever again as much as I enjoy painting them um, or whatever. Um, so, so yeah, I found like going down the skirmish route really helped delve into like the narrative side of things. And then they started bringing out all those cool kill teams like the Novitiates, um, the the Blooded, um, Breaches, Kazakin. I do think it opens up some really interesting opportunities as well to like model and paint things that you might not otherwise get um yeah 
yeah. uh, non-40k army like you've just mentioned um wade's flesh terrors but i remember um when he was also working on a kill team that was all dismounted raven wing um oh movies. yes yeah. yeah so like the idea that it was obviously uh, members of the Raven Wing who have now chased the quarry or you know whatever their mission is, they've got to a point where they can't take the bikes anymore. Yeah. So they've dismounted to complete the mission. So actually yeah, having yeah. you know the Raven Wing on foot as a kill team was a really interesting yeah. idea. No, absolutely. And modeling, like you know, from my point of view, and I think Wade was talking about it as well. It's like you would model some bikes without the riders on, so you could have those as objectives, like trying to race to, to the bike to then do the next mission or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff and seeing what what like um, uh, trying to think of some prime examples of where that would make more sense, like a crew, tank crew, Baneblade crew, like doing a kill team, which is a, a crew from a Baneblade, and the Baneblade's broken down, and the mission is to get it repaired, like Fury or to hold this position That's, and that is nice. you know so you know you've got this position you've you, your tracks don't work your main cannons out of ammo but you've got your heavy stubbers on the back uh, of your stormlord so there's only five or six of us we've got to hold off this swathe of tower or whatever um so i love that kind of like taking an element and yeah putting them outside their normal format um, yeah, another good example I've heard mentioned once or twice is the idea of um, using the rules of things like um, the Navy breaching team or something. Mm. But what you're modeling is uh, a collection of Imperial Knight pilots who are not yes. in their knights. Yeah, you know, yeah, yes, so it's, yeah. it's them like trying to get through the ship, you know, or whatever, to where their knights are stored. Yeah, you know, to yeah. actually mount up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, if you take like boarding actions and stuff like that, I mean, the ships are like huge, so, so big. And you can imagine like there's like a group of nobles that are like in like the officers' quarters and their knights are what, let's say a couple of kilometers away, but they normally use like mag trains, but the mag train's been disabled because a torpedo's hit there and they've got like a handful of ra Navy ratings to escort them down there. So you could have like a bunch of noble knights. Um, that ready to get into their actual physical war suits but they're being protected by like one or two navy ratings and it's like that makes a great narrative hook and then you just go through corridors and there's all sorts of horror of chaos legionnaires and weird spawn trying to rip them to pieces and inevitably because they're you know b-rate actors the navy ratings get killed straight away before all the, <laughs> uh, the important main characters do i say that the, the one guy that does the, the one night the one guy that does survive ends up jumping in an armature and then it ends up yeah. earning himself, you know, the, the right to be a pilot. Yeah. It's like there's, there's all these big suits sort of, and it's like, oh. Or you could have some sort of buddy cop thing going on as well, where they're like, I <laughs> I, I, can't, I'll get you there. You go, guys, you go. Don't leave me. <laughs> all right, we'll leave you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Or something like the, the, one of the actual night pilots gets killed and then, like, the, the scrub peasant guy ends up, like, putting his outfit on. And like pretending oh, to yeah. be him, oh. <laughs> and then just sort of get, get, gets in the night and just doesn't really know what he's doing, but has to try and fake it till he makes I mean, it, sort of thing. I'm getting um oh what's the film with oh what's it I can't even remember his name now. Am I getting complete? Uh, you plays the Joker. Deal. Yes, nice. Yeah, time. I know yeah, exactly what you were doing. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was about to say Hugh Hefner for uh, the guy who plays the Joker. That is, that is not, that is not, not his name. A, that's a different film. That's a whole. <laughs> <laughs> that's a 
What's his name? <laughs> Why is Hugh Hefner in my head? Go away. <laughs> and what is he doing in that armature? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, bunny ears. That's, that's, that's not how you use the phone mechanicum. <laughs> Apparently not, no. <laughs> He's having a whale of a time in his smoking yeah. jacket. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just help me out. What's the guy? What's the actor's name? I can't remember. Hugh. Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger, thank you. Yeah, not Hugh Hefner. Heath Ledger. There we are. It sounds similar ish. Uh, <laughs> was, uh, was it? What, was he? Um, was he uh, Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein or something like that? Yeah, that's it. I can't yeah, that's it. So, I mean, <laughs> I've watched that film so many times, and I, I, I always forget like bits of films, but I, I just love it because it, yeah, it is comedy, and I, I suppose to a certain point, it's like that probably would you know you would have like Robin Hood. Take Robin Hood, uh, the one with Russell Crowe. Um, he takes you know the role of. Robin of Loxy, and I, I suppose that did happen when like knights get killed, you know, nobles get killed, and barons and stuff like that, and people will just go, oh, "There's a suit of armor," and he's been gone twelve years. People probably aren't going to recognize who he is. I might just wear that armor and have a jolly, uh, and it makes sense in a forty k setting to, to, and that would, like you say, make a great narrative hook that he actually the, the actual noble died, and he's just like his squire that used to arm him in the morning. Um, it's just like, ah, we'll carry on. No one knows. It's just a big war suit. They ain't going to tell. Uh, yeah, I love that. But yeah, not a Heath Ledger. No, Hugh Hefner. <laughs> no, so I kind of want to see that film now. That film, that, that is a film out there that's... Yes, yeah, 40K is great. I mean, the, the thing I've always found, especially with like the, um, uh, the Kill Team sets, is they really are helping to add um, like extra... I mean, for me, I'm, I'm in this place at the moment because I'm, I'm very much embedded in Necromunda um, and there's not a single model that's come out from the kill team that I can't find a home for in Necromunda um, so a lot of the new 40k kits are just so good that you can just use them anywhere and same same with like the um, the, the RBTs I always want to say R-bites I'm so used to saying R-bites it's so hard to say RBTs I know that's the official term but um, but yeah I've just seen like loads of conversions now in my head for like doing um, spires using that armour so like doing the Oruses and stuff like that and Maybe like heavily armoured uh, bodyguards for like some noble, as, as well as um, uh, RBTs. But um, one of my favourite conversions of late, I know it's not uh, it's a 40k channel, but um, the neophytes, um, I converted those to make Sisters of Sigma for Mordheim, but it's not quite Mordheim. I use Warcry, I play Warcry, mm. and I've done them as a Warcry warband, so I've literally used the what's called the free guild uh list so the cities of sigma stuff so you get like what is great swords and handgunners and spearmen and i've just literally used their rule set but converted the new neophytes because th that set's amazing because not only do you get um like a nice mixture of different um specialists um but you also get enough bits to give them all auto guns or enough bits to give them more auto guns and swords and i was like that's a, that's incredible this one set i can build them all with pistols and swords or with rifles or as a mixture of all these different specialists um which i've to me is good hobby levels of thinking there from from the sculptor um and yeah because you got the swords and i've got loads of like sigmarite stuff 
I've done a couple with hammers, so they count as great swords. I've done a couple with the swords and the shield, and they've got the fleur de lis. So I just cut a bit off, and it just looks like a circlet with like a little nose guard. Um, and then I just paint them in white and blue, and they look like Sisters of Sigma. And I was like, I really like these. I'm gonna do more of them. Um, so yeah, even like 40k miniatures, you can just look at them and just go, yeah, I can find a, a use for those. Um, doing other stuff with. Um, yeah, I can't stop myself. I, all I need is a piece of text in a book, and I'm done. <laughs> That's it. It's a whole, yeah. whole new world. Like, um, do you have any like examples off the top of your head of something that just like sprung an idea to life, as it were? So, um, I, I think most of them in the last few years have all just come from a piece of text or a piece of art. Um, so, a lot of I used to get a lot of compliments about my Cities of Sigma army. You know, where did the idea come from because um, at the time Sigma had come out and um, the, the world that was or Warhammer old world was destroyed and there was a lot of negativity and like I can't use these armors I can't use these models how does these fit in this setting and it was you know understandable because I, I had an empire army I had a quite a good collection of like Warhammer fantasy armies um, but what I discovered with Age of Sigma was I could do more with I could push more I could try new things so I decided to do an armies on parade uh, and to do it as an army on parade and then I just ordered a bunch of kits so I was like I want some great swords I want some dwarves I want some elves I want a mixture of different races for this city I'm gonna make there was one piece of art that was in the uh, I think the first rule book that came out for Age of Sigma and it's just like there's a I think one of the, the Stormcast guys who's got a lantern he's like stood on the side he's got a griffhound and there's just loads of different humans of different categories and like you know i guess classes and stuff like that that are just milling around i was like that's cool um so that that the piece of art sprung this whole idea of me doing a city a sigma that has stormcast in it from in my head the stormcast wouldn't wear helmets because they're engaging with the humans they want to have that human connection and you get mm. more from reading the expressions on someone's face so they understand like these are humans we're godlike to them so i still need to get to do stuff but if i have this weird mask on that's emotionless it sends you know the wrong kind of signal so so i made like this idea of a storm host that rarely wore the helmets there was a whole thing of they always they should all wear helmets i was like no mine are going to be bareheaded um and then I just like, just, the just because you wanted to be contrary, it's just like no, yeah, oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. It was it was to annoy one guy in the studio because he really liked them, uh, the idea of all the helmets, and I was like, I'm going to annoy you and not have any on mine. <laughs> um, and it, it was fun, um, but yeah. So I, I got all these kits, these dwarf kits and stuff, and I literally just like swapped heads, swapped arms. I, I got a load of it was the uh, dark elf or darkling coven spearmen, so the very spiky looking elves uh chopped off the heads chopped off their spear tips gave them the dwarf hammerer um axe heads and hammer heads because uh, long beards you can give them like hammers and axes mm. uh, so i gave them all the spears like axes and hammers they count as my halberdiers so it was like big double-handed halberds and hammers um and then i just gave them human heads and i was like cool so in this city there's gonna be like dwarf armorers elf armorers human armorers maybe in one smithy they're all together doing the same thing and it's like a mishmash of cultures so it's a proper melting pot so yeah i was just like went mad doing all these head swaps weapon swaps from across the kits and then just painted them all up with a unifying color uh, on a board and they're all like ranked up like as if they've just finished their big speech like you know in saruman's like to war and they turn around and start marching like it was that kind of uh, vibe and 
that for me that was just like that just started this non-stop sort of project of just adding new units from different realms or adding the next unit that came out um and that's and that i think really was where i got really mad into like bit of text all i need is like a piece of information from a book uh, and Warcry is really bad for all my age of sigma based stuff because in the bloodwind spoil there's one little like map marker that says lost valorum and in brackets ruined order city and that to me became my new more time um so i started doing some uh, uh daughters of cain i was like well the daughters of cain reside now in the cities of sigma they have like temples there so there would have been a temple there but because the daughters of cain deal with shadow magics they're probably hidden so it's not been destroyed so they're still there active in this area of chaos um you know going on raids and murder you know murdering chaos cultists and slicing their throats open over a big bowl because uh, that's what they do um and then i was like yeah the sisters of sigma can be in there as well instead of like going for um uh warpstone they're getting varanite because that's like the important material of uh the varan spire which is where um warcry is kind of mainly focused so i kind of just did a lot of I'm going to take all this information for more time and stick it in this setting just because of this one name on a map. Um, and yeah, I've just gone mad. And then that's where like I did this city and I did that colour scheme with a warband. And I was like, oh, I'm going to mix this into there. All these guys like worshipping snakes. Maybe they ally with my daughters of Cain that are all snake based. Um, and yeah, same for 40k. Um, I've started doing... Uh, oh. I suppose, yeah. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna be on a 40k channel, how can I not talk about my blood pact and my Tanith? I mean, that's just stupid, right? Not to even mention that. <laughs> um, so I alluded. I, I know if I'm going on too much, you want to ask questions? Stop me because I will continue no, talking no, I, forever. <laughs> it's, it's not a problem at all. I'm I'm enjoying taking it all in. It all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> really, really fascinating where you get these, you know, like points of inspiration from. So, uh, yeah, so blood pact are from the. Um, uh, Gaunt's Ghost series out there. That's like, right, yeah. I've not, I've not read it myself, but I know that they're presumably sort of the antagonistic force. Yes, yeah. So there's there's a few cool. So if um, you ever get around to like, the audiobooks are great because you can hobby and listen. So because I've been doing that of late, like having uh, Dan Abnett stuff going off in, in my ear whilst hobbying. Um, but yeah, the, the Blood Pact are probably later on in the series. So like book five, I think, which is Guns of Tanith, which is when you first come across them. And they're like a they're corn, but they're like super organized military force because corn is also about discipline and as well as death and destruction and getting skulls, um, you know, martial discipline. Um, and there's a planet called Fantine, and I think it's Fantine that they're on, if memory serves. Um, and there's all these, for a better word, cloud cities, um, and they mine vapors and stuff, and they have to do these drops into these cities. Um, and that's when they come across these blood pack guys and they're ambushing the troops as they're all coming in and doing stuff. Um, and I wanted to reflect, because I was going to do it on Warhammer Live. If you remember, I did those like streaming games where it was like over the shoulder kind of thing with like Warcry and I did one for um, Necromunda. I did like a little campaign. I wanted to do this for 40K uh, before they changed Kill Team because I knew Kill Team was being changed. And it worked perfectly with the older version of Kill Team. I would have found a way to... to to work it mm. through but because the data sheet stats worked exactly the same as like the previous kill team rules because it was all data sheet level stat lines i was like right i want to get gaunt's ghost guys build some extras get all these chaos cultists of the abyss the traitor guard from blackstone fortress and paint them really quickly do a couple of head swaps and count those blood packed and i was going to get like 
Ben, Wade, and Nick to take two of the main box set characters. So, like, Wade would have Gaunt and someone else. Nick would have Ron and someone else. Ben would have Com, Corbeck, and someone else. And then I'd do some extras that would just be like peripherals that I'd control, maybe, or like they'd, they'd pick and choose who got priority, would control them. And, I'm, and if you don't know the story, spoilers, spoiler alert, there's a character called Ku who's a murdering psychopath. And in this book, The Guns of Tanith, he likes to murder some of the civilians because it makes him feel good inside. Um, and he gets found out and he gets dobbed in by a couple of the guys. Larkin, who's the sniper, is one of them. And Bragg is another one who's the big gunner. Um, and Ku doesn't like the fact that he got sort of grasped up by these guys. They, in the end, he doesn't get tried because of reasons, uh, which are like political and complicated, but they, they don't have enough proof. Um, so what I want to do was have this game going on where the blood packs are coming in from these different angles. The presenters are, you know, doing all right, holding off like you've got to take this objective, you've got to fight against these guys. And at one point, some allies turn up and I'll bring a couple of extra uh, Tanif on that I've painted. And one of them would be Koo, because in the book, he knifes Bragg to death. Um, and I'll just literally have him turn up a knife Bragg to death. And By the way, when I built the model, on that one. <laughs> spoilers, spoilers. Spoilers on that one. I mean, it's been out 12 years, so I mean, I, I can't, if you're not ready, I can't. Um, sorry. Uh, but yeah, so that happens. And it's quite a shocking moment because that's, I think, the first time one of the major characters proper, you know, buys it. And you're just like, oh, oh well, I didn't expect that to happen. Um, so yeah, I just and when I've built this model and I've put him on Twitter and Instagram, I got not in a nasty way, but in a fun way, lots of hate. Um, so some people were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. "Oh, I can't believe you've made this guy. He's hard. He's worse than Erebus. He's worse than this guy." You know, it's just like, "Oh God, sorry." Um, so I triggered a lot of people when I made him, which was all the more reason to want to do the campaign. But things happened. We never got around to doing it. Um, I still have it, and I want to do it for the painting phase now. If we get we're still like working around with like doing the battle reports because we filmed a couple uh pat's edited them obviously we we're pre predominantly a painting channel with some chats but we want to like branch out and try other things and pat used to do a lot of the editing for battle reports and he's just like we've got a tiny room it's a bit of fun it's not the best content in the world but i'm like hey it's fun that's all that matters i mean if it's like 30 minutes of just a bunch of mates playing the game and having a bit of a laugh we'll see i mean if no one likes it we won't yeah. do it again um, I mean, but I definitely want exactly to see where, kind of... Yeah, that's exactly where we are with Narrative Wargamer at the moment. In the last sort mm. of, you know, five to six months, we've just started doing monthly battle reports. But oh, mega! Yeah, um, yeah, we, we we put them out over on YouTube. But for us, it's all um, really narrative-driven stories and missions. Yeah. So it's all like um, missions taken like Crusade mission packs or legendary missions from the Warzone books, stuff like that. All these things have come out in the last you know, couple of years, and then we. We throw in theater of war rules, so we've got environment effects. Like um, the first one we ever did was um, orcs and Admech um, fighting to get hold of a radioactive power core, because it was that uh, radioactive, cool, yeah. it was actually uh, like putting out more and more uh, game-wide debuffs as the game went on, because things were degrading uh, due to the radiation. Yeah, yeah. That's like that, you know, so It's all the stuff you never see on YouTube channels because it's all the stuff that's in the sort of periphery books that is actually quite interesting yeah. um, which is nice to, to take part in actually so it's, it's quite good 
I have a question. Can I ask a question, Tony? Can Shoot. I, can I jump go, in with a question? Go on then. Fifty minutes in with our chat with uh, uh, with BJ, I suppose you might as well ask a question. Oh uh, yeah, I'll go a question. So I I am aware that you're a bit of a historical war gamer. Uh, I am. Sort yes. Of. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, as as is as am I. Um, so do you use any of those uh, sort of historical? your historical knowledge to sort of base armies on or base scenarios on when you're thinking about it. like do you draw so for example any do you think oh i'd really like to do these from this period yeah, of history yeah. or i'd really like to do this battle because of this period here what sort of is your favorite period of history to draw, draw upon for narrative so things? definitely yes um i i've always done that and I was encouraged to do that more when I moved into the studio because guys like Dave Andrews, Mark Jones, uh, Neil Hodgson were all like, you know, that really is where Games Workshop started was they were using historical stuff and putting it in a fantasy setting. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because we understand that. So um, if you take 40K, for instance, I mean, you've got like Ancients and Napoleonics merged together in space. Um so you know greeks and romans fighting with napoleonic line infantry against aliens i mean that's you know they've got armor and they've got laser guns but it's that kind of level of you know you're taking those those tropes of that kind of style and imagery and then sticking it to a, a sci-fi setting um and yeah so I, I for a long time i've been a big fan of napoleonics um and my ventrilian nobles were heavily drawn from that um, it all started with like this battle force challenge and I literally put, because I was doing an empire army anyway, I had some spare empire heads with big plumes and I, I was just test fitting and messing around and trying different things, I was like I want to do something different with my Cadians, I don't want to go down the modern day or world war 2 kind of style of clothing, it's like fatigues, do I do like a different regimen, I don't know maybe, and then I just plopped on this outrider head with a helmet and a big feather and I was like, oh, I'll paint up like a British sort of like line infantryman and I'll give him white trousers. But I, instead of initially it was like red, then I, then I put a couple of glazes over the top of it to make it magenta. I was like, oh, actually, I quite like magenta. Um, I've always been a big fan of doing black armor and giving it a gold trim and then glossing it because I don't have to highlight anything. Um, so I just literally, like, yeah, cool black lacquered armor and it gave it kind of a Baroque vibe. So there's a sort of, I looked at it because I'm a big fan of Flash Gordon. I was like, they look a bit like the Imperial troops from Flash Gordon, but also Napoleonic. So I started to draw on my Napoleonic um, knowledge, and I wouldn't say I'm the most knowledgeable um, Napoleonics expert out there, but I'm probably like one or two Osprey books ahead of like I don't know a few people that are listening. Um, doesn't mean I'm an expert; it just means I've read one one or two more books. But there's a few books that I've been looking at. I was looking at the time, which was describing like light infantry, centre companies, how the British Army works, um, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna base it off that. So. The squads um, that I built were what I'd refer to as line infantry. And initially, so it's not 100% sort of verbatim, like taken from here and taken from there, but I was like, the plumes are going to be the things that mark out the squads. So all the infantry have like white plumes. The officers and the command squads have white plumes with like little magenta tips on it. Uh, and then I started doing my artillery. Now, normally, like Napoleonic's artillery wear like, like a navy blue kind of color, like a royal blue. Uh, but I wanted to reflect that in the the, plume, uh, the plumes and the feathers instead. So I was like, all oh, my artillery will still have the magenta jackets, but they'll have blue plumes. Ah, if I do light infantry, I'll give them green plumes. So I did that for like a couple of like sharpshooters. 
And then I went, oh, I like sharp, of course. Why don't I do some green jackets? <laughs> Let's do some green jackets. So I did some guys in green jackets, and then I um, started going down the routes of, like, so I've done some, um, I've probably got them on Instagram, but I'm definitely over here. I've got a squad of what I called the Grenadiers, uh, first Grenadiers, which were based off Austrians, because I really like the Austrian outfits. This was like this horrible, horrible, lovely sort of, off-white sort of beige outfit with like white piping and stuff um, and I just literally just put that gave him a different helmet and followed the same armor style that the Ventrillians had and I think I so, gave you, them so you haven't thought much about it then no no not at all <laughs> so yeah 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 I draw upon a lot of things <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I, I like the idea. I, I do hope that, in, like in many years to come, someone comes up to you when you're when you're playing with your Venturian nobles, and and, and they basically become a button counter. I'm like, I think you're fine. You, your Venturian nobles don't have the right feathers on, um, and they need to have the. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, I'd I'd be happy with that because I'd be like, good, because someone's taken the mantle and like carried it on. So there was something that happened. Actually. Is, is that is that where it goes full circle? Like you yeah. get people coming up to you to correct you on the official law for the ventrilians yeah. because you've got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's the way. That's that's how I want to roll. Um, I mean, I've had it before though because I mean, someone on Twitter had said, "Oh, Peachy, I hope you don't mind. Um, I really like your ventrilians, but I don't like grey tanks. I think they look naff. So I've done all mine gold, and I was like, gold." Ugh. And he showed me a picture. I was like, "Oh my god, that looks amazing! Gold, yes, I'm doing mine. Gold, grey looks dull. You're right, grey well, is dull. Gold from now on." I always really liked the sort of brass plate for the um, Vostrian tanks. Yes, um, yeah. they're, they're they're not quite gold, but like they're they're not just a painted colour. They're clearly like you know a, a bronzy, coppery metallic. Yeah, and they yeah. always I always really liked the paint scheme for those. Yeah, I mean, I've got. I recently went mad. Someone sent me a message uh, about like, "Hey, because Old World's coming out soon." I don't know when, uh, but you know, they're getting excited about the Old World. They're like, "You know, your Ventrillian nobles. Could you like do like every Empire state as a Ventrillian noble?" And I was like, "That sounds fun." Uh, so I literally did a project on Twitter, and I think I put it on Instagram as well, which was like every uh, the only I I. I I've noticed I forgot one, which was one of the Middenheims or Middenlands, uh, one of the two blue ones. Um, but that actually inspired me to want to do a new Ventrillian noble army. And I think it's Osland, which is, uh, they have like, I, I've given them black jackets, white trousers and red trim. Uh, same with the same glossy black gold armor. Um, nice. And then I was thinking the new Cadians were coming out at the time and I was like I'm going to test one of these on the new Cadians and I fell in love with it because it just because those models are great as well because I wasn't 100% convinced by the new Cadians I was being a bit sort of old guard going oh I don't like change uh, and then I started painting I was I like, like the oh my god these are oh, yeah. I don't know what <laughs> you're like talking about girl. I have no idea what you're talking about at all <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm going to come to you in a minute Dan because I've, I've got a thing that I need to do because seeing your army that you um, that i well, you shared with me, Tony, the uh, Green Base uh, nostalgic second edition army. So first of all, I need to do a new Vostrog army that follows the colours of Ostland or the Ostlandia Lancers, I think I called them. Um, so that is army number one this year that I need to do. Or Skirmish Force, maybe, or Kill Team, maybe Kill Team. But the other thing I want to do, and I've got the old third ed Imperial Guard Codex. Uh, oh. It might be second ed. 
Um, they better have red uh, las guns. They better well, this is have it. red. This is it. <laughs> so I have decided because I was looking. I uh, did a. Uh, it was a two-part video, which was like different regiments of the Astromilitarum going. If you had the Cadian box set and did a color swap or a head swap, what other regiments could you do? Uh, and one of my favourite ones was just using the actual army set or what is now the I guess start collecting. Um, is you get lots of like forage caps, like little not proper peaked caps, but like forage caps with the Cadians. And in the set, you get sixteen, which is enough to make two squads and a command section. So I started Mordians. using those as Mordians, yeah, yeah. but with armor, Mordians <laughs> with armor. So I gave him silver armor, um, did, did all the same colors that the Mordians have, uh, and I instantly fell in love with them. And I was like, actually, you know what? If I did these, but followed a lot of the old schemes of second ed, third ed, whichever, um, gave them goblin green bases, bright red las guns, did some Cadians in the classic Cadian scheme with bright red las guns. Maybe because I also did a, uh, a a talon, so I, I just used a normal helmet, trimmed it down a bit, and got some masking tape and wrapped it round. I found like doing a couple of twists here and there gave a really good like head scarf kind of effect. And I was like, I could do a talon platoon, I could do a um, Cadian platoon, I could do like because I've got the heavy weapon squad, I could do like a, a heavy weapon squad of Mordians and a couple of Mordian squads. And then of course the Attilian Rough Riders came out. I was like, oh, this is just meant to happen, isn't it? So I think. At some point this year, I'm going to start doing a classic-looking Imperial Guard army you, using the new you stuff. You know, you could do as well. Sorry, I feel mm. like I'm giving you... This is a, Good. Fuck it in. Um, <laughs> Scions do them as the stormtroopers that they had <gasps> in second edition as well. Yes. Sorry, yes, Tony, we've hijacked it. your podcast. I'm really sorry. Yes. You, you... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, don't, black don't, don't worry. It's, it's, it's just yeah. a they've, got berets, they, they've got the berets, and then you do the yeah. whole... Yeah. Yeah, I'm in for that. Yeah, I, they were my favourite plastics actually when they when I first saw them. I wanted an army of those stormtroopers, uh, but yeah, so that's where my head's at, at the moment is a new Ventrillian army to add to my Ventrillians, and then a uh, yeah, classic looking goblin green based Imperial Guard army because I'm an idiot and I love it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, I think that'll I think that'll I think that'll look great. And yeah, then all I agree. Is, uh, <laughs> So at some point, arrange a game between uh, yeah, those and Dan's second yes. edition Ultramarines. Oh, yeah. that would be amazing. Oh, you know, yes. I, I've got, um, oh, I've managed to acquire, hang on, I've got it here. This is rubbish podcasting, but I don't care. Oh, <laughs> oh Whirlwind, that. classic Whirlwind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's the old yeah. Whirlwind with the metal turret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, yeah, I love that. Nice. A metal turret as well. That must have been a nightmare gluing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun though. Fun. Well, so I mean, there's obviously plenty there, all about different kinds of like you know hobby projects and painting projects and everything else that you've you know done for you know years gone by and by the sounds of it years to come. Um, yes. Yeah. But tell us a little bit then about some of your um, sort of favourite experiences in the past, perhaps from like playing campaigns or um, other sort of things that you've done in the past, you know, um, you know, good like narrative spins on them, like experiences perhaps from the studio or just anything to recent history or whatever, whatever jumps to mind. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've played so many games in the studio over the years that, you know, sometimes they merge into one. I think one of the ones that will stick with me for a long time um, and um, I was still quite new to the studio at that time, so there was a lot of like, Oh my god, fanboying 
of like all the, uh, the, the the celebrities of like White Dwarf and the studio. So I was just like, oh my God, it's Jervis Johnson. And I'm now getting to play a bat report with him. Um, so that that was fun because we, me and Baton were using Chaos if memory serves. And, he, and Jervis had never won a game in a bat report up to this point until me and Baton turned up and we changed his look because we were God awful. God awful. <laughs> uh so so that was fun so we uh, that was my first instance of like playing a game with um someone that i looked up to as a as a child uh who was very instrumental in like because uh, jervis is a very big narrative kind of hobbyist as well so he's very into like the story side of it um so yeah getting to play a game against him and just having no end of fun and just watching because he thought he had bad dice rolls and just watching my dice rolls it was like you know it is classic like oh hello i'm jervis johnson <laughs> it's like almost like ian mckellen levels um uh, and yeah it was just that, that that was a good experience that was my first i think white dwarf experience um which was great fun i think one of the ones that stands out it was a white dwarf game and again it was um so when i was a kid uh, i always wanted to do some praetorians um, big fan of Praetorians. I know it was just like a head swap on some Mordians, but I still a big fan of Zulu. Very good classic um, movie. Um, you know, it, there's no good guys, bad guys in that film. It's portrayed right. in such a way as just like two warrior casts fighting against each other, and one side wins, one side loses, and the others like go, "Yeah, we honor you. Good job. All the power well to done. you. We're gonna head off home now and have some burgers." Uh, so I, really I don't remember enjoy. that in the. <laughs> oh yeah, it's in the, it's uh, the extended cut. Cuts. It's in the yeah. director's cut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't stay to watch the post-credit scene. Oh, yeah, exactly. I knew I'd miss something. Always, always post-credit. <laughs> I'm man. sorry, like a post-credit scene in a three and a half, or is it three and a half hours? Zulu yeah. Or something yeah, yeah. It's great yeah. though. I mean, so I always, I was as a child, I was always confused by that movie anyway because they did Zulu Dawn, which was the battle before Isandawana. But that was like the the sequel. It was like so to me. It was like, but that's after. It's like no. My dad's like no. This happens before. You know. You see all those guys dead over a cannon in red coach. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is that bit. I was like, but why is it after? I'm like, oh, my dad just getting really frustrated trying to explain it to me. <laughs> so just because you're seven yeah, doesn't mean you don't have to understand this. I'm trying. To, I'm trying my best here, kid. But yeah. So um, yeah, as a nineties like, kid, it always confused me why Star Wars started episode four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. As, as a kid, you know, it confused me. But <laughs> I mean, I guess those books were written, but just call it Star Wars one. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess he knew because uh, someone did say he'd written those books before. But I, I don't know. My, my Star yeah, Wars. I, 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 I think there's. I think he was said somewhere in like an interview or whatever that. Um, mm. He had grander plans for what uh, became the prequels than what the technology you. allowed at the time. So he wanted to read green screen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all green screen. Uh, but yeah, so Praetorians, big fan of Praetorians. Really loved the Battle on the Farm, which was pretty much Zulu. Um, read that over and over. Went to my first games day. I think it was 95, 96. Uh, supposed to go with my brother. He bugged out. Supposed to go with my dad. He then bugged out. So I went with my sister. She loved it. Um, and that was when they had the Battle of Big Tooth River on. And there was even more Praetorians on there. And I was just like, this is amazing. And then I got the privilege of refighting that game with Dan Harden, but using Praetorians. Uh, so it was Battle of Glazer's Farm Part 2. And it was like 20 years later. Glazer's son is now in charge of the farm. Um, and my Praetorians got to do a heroic last defense and 
I think that is probably one of my fondest and most favourite games because we both had the right mindset, which was having fun. Um, I modelled loads of casualties because I wanted and I knew from watching enough Zulu and the previous Glazers farm that I want the hospital to catch fire so all the injured people have to get shoved into the storehouse or the lavatory. Um, and then he's just got orcs clambering over just shanking and bayoneting wounded guys and stuff like that. Um, and it was just how good many, fun. How good many times, how many times did you, one of you say, orcs are thousands of them? <laughs> I think quite a few. <laughs> but you're saying I think it became like every turn. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's, Dan had seen Zulu. He, he loved Zulu. He loved that game, and uh, it was just nice to to get those vibes again uh, and reenact it. But yeah, getting all those nostalgic hits. Granted, I mean, I could have been a bit more, you know, better as a hobbyist and done. Praetorians, but they wanted to use my Ventrilians, which was fine. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's one of my fondest uh, gaming experiences. I've had loads. I mean, I played tons of games against tons of people. Um, they all kind of merged into one. Um, I'm trying to like pinpoint. I mean, obviously, I played against Rhodes loads of times, and we had a good game on live where he uses Imperial Knights against my Drakari. And um, because we both have a very similar mindset when it comes to gaming. And we understood it was entertainment as well because it was a live stream. We've got Eddie and Rob Symes um, narrating the game. I was like, Duncan, the objective is because there was like a, an Imperial Knight that had been captured, uh, a noble a pilot uh, had been captured. Uh, and, we were, and that was the asset that was trying to be captured from both sides. We were going to take him and torture him because we can. And he needs to get him back because it's from his uh, House Griffith um, household. So... In the end, it, the game boiled down to literally the last dice roll of the last turn, where I decided to use my husk blade and shank an Imperial Knight with it. Uh, and I did, and it blew up, and not only killed my lord, who shanked it, not only killed the knight, but also killed the asset <laughs> <laughs> on the very last turn. It was just a monumental explosion that just... We were both like, well, that didn't go well. <laughs> but it was full of laughs, so yeah, I mean... It was the intention was he had to rescue him, I had to torture him, and we all died. <laughs> uh, but yeah, plenty of games. I just I, it's really hard. I mean, I still want to do the thing with Wade, uh, the Flesh Terrors versus the Ardent Shroud, and that was something we talked about a lot at length over lockdown. And that's that's kind of like the one that got away, I guess. Um, and at some point, yeah, you know, it'll be nice to revisit uh, those two playing with those armies and you know settling the. Uh, the beef that never started. Um, well, but, yeah. speaking of um, speaking of Wade, and to uh, sort of come back round to your Gene Stealer project, one of mm. the things you did do in recent years that I remember watching along with um, was Claw and Order. Oh yeah, Claw and Order. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, very little. Well, I mean, it started off, and this is the downside, right? Of when I say downside, it's a massive upside, but it's also a massive negative. When you're sat next to a hobbyist like Wade, and he's sat next to a hobbyist like me, you're your own worst enemies. Um, and he was like, going, I really want to do a kill team game for live because he was like running live shows. 
who's like, uh, I'm trying to think of someone to play against, but I can't think of anyone. You got any thoughts? I was like, well, in the meantime, do you want to play against my, my neophytes? He was like, oh, yeah, because I was thinking of doing like uh, Arbites. Um, I'm going to use these guys, I'm going to convert these, I'm going to use some of the enforcers and this, that, and the other. I was like, cool. Uh, and then he came back and was like, I've got an idea for a name. We had a bit of a laugh, and then it became Claw and Order. And I was like, my guys are all going to be working in the factory, your guys are all the police. Um, and we just was literally riffing off each other. So we, we had this whole idea of like a campaign to do. Uh, I can't remember what, what happened in the end. I think actually lockdown is what happened. Actually, if memory serves, lockdown happened. Um, and I had built some stuff that got him excited. So he built some stuff that then got me excited. So I built some more stuff to the point that we were going to do a game where it was his Ar uh, Arbites, Arbites, sorry, um, in like a sort of containment area, uh, lots of containers and stuff. It's like a shipping zone. Um, and I'd got a load of the Age of Sigma ghouls. And on the skull pack, you get like some skeleton. I don't know if they're Hormagons or Termagons, but they don't look like any of them. And there's there's a Tyranid skull, and there's a lot of them, about 20 on the, on the uh, box set. And I literally put those heads onto the ghouls and painted it as flesh as opposed to as a skull. And it's what we then named Nightmare Fuel because they looked terrifying. Um, so I did like this weird off blue, gray kind of skin tone. Uh, and so they looked sickly, they looked terrifying and we called it the nursery that was going to be the next game it was like this is the nursery these are all the experiments from the biologists that's just gone wrong and i did like a big crypt horror with like a big skull on it as well um and then there was the it's called grimwatch which is one of the underworld warbands which are all uh, flesh eaters and i gave them like there's a guy with a big double-handed axe and i cut the axe off and gave him a icon a gene see the cool icon so it was like an icon and all the others had like holding skulls and just they just looked horrendous and we were so eager to do this game where you literally were just like endless waves of these things coming on and you had to take out the queen um kill the queen and then get the hell out of dodge um so it's very reminiscent of probably a necromunder game which is like the zombie horde just end the zombies coming on and see how long you survive and we're going down that vibe but yeah having games against wade um and trying to burn the dog on every mission because he had one called exterminatus <laughs> it, it was the hound uh i i lost points on the chat for that i think just is, is peter gonna burn the dog yeah he's burnt he's burned he's killed the dog cool nice one peter that's all i could kill is the rest of his guys are just so rock hard uh so i went for the easiest target and the hate <laughs> but oh, i forgot about claw and all this so thank you tony for reminding me about that can't believe i forgot it great times <laughs> Well, um, so thinking ahead then to obviously what you're, you're planning to do in the future now, um, mm -hmm. with the freedom of being over at the painting phase, what sort of things, like, you know, wildest imaginations and stuff here, like what thing would you love to do in the future, like given sort of infinite time and resources, as it were, almost, what would you love to really see come to life as a, as a big uh, project? So... I've got loads of like ideas and at the moment it's it's I think my ideas are bigger than what we can do on the channel um, but I definitely want to build an interior of a spaceship and do lots of boarding actions with different decks um, so because you've got all the boarding action scenery um, I want to mingle that with like the uh, Necromunda uh, Zomortalis stuff and make like hangar bays make corridors but because I'm all about what um, my colleague Laura dubbed as doll's housing. Um, I'm all about adding mm. extra details into these boards. So like 
there's the uh, the crew quarters there's the mess office there's you know there's the toilets there's the medical bay and then filling it out with stuff because i'm not fully constrained now by workshop stuff i could get like stuff from mantic like the um the terrain crates that they do because they do because i i for Warcry, i made my own bookcases and my books but they actually sell like those things and it's plastic and it's really good um and because it's for ourselves and it's for the channel you know i'm not taking it to a tournament or anything like that i, I can get away with doing that so i want to make a, the interior of a ship i want to do boarding actions and that could be following the into dark uh, narrative hook um there was a game that i played many years ago and I remember Ali going on about something similar as well, where Dave Andrews is a great hobbyist. Uh, not only can he paint, sculpt, draw, but he's got some great ideas for games. Um, and he had this game, um, I think it was Dave, I'm trying to remember now, where it was kind of like Napoleonic Seven Years War, so it's muskets. You've got like, it's like somewhere in Europe, let's say Eastern Europe, so you've got like Hungarians versus Lithuanians. Uh, so you've got like these guys with muskets, they're all in like really pretty looking uniforms. Um, they've got tricorns and stuff like that and like really pompous officers. And the game starts where it's just like, oh cool, it's just a Seven Years War game and we're just shooting muskets at each other. And then it gets nighttime and you realize that the village you've been fighting over is full of werewolves and now you have to join forces and fight against the werewolves and you don't have any silver so you're like how do we do this and that wasn't at all expected until it went dark so you're thinking you're just fighting a normal historical game and then it went dark and then the, the games master just went so this is what what's happened is you hear some howling and werewolves have turned up you're like what the heck what am i playing right now um so i'd like to do stuff like that where you, you you start playing a game that you think is a game and it turns to something very different so you could do like i don't know clone troopers versus droids and then halfway through loads of zombies appear you're just like well i wasn't expecting that how, how the hell did this happen um and same for like 40k this, 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 this escalated quickly <laughs> yeah. I mean, aggressive negotiations ain't gonna help here what if halfway through all the clones suddenly got a mysterious order and they started executing oh, their yeah. superiors exactly yeah wouldn't that be great <laughs> Uh, I said so, so. There's loads of thoughts of like narrative hooks I want to do. Um, I did so want to get into the Tanith stuff, do some games of that. Um, I've got loads of thoughts and plans for Warcry, um, for Necromunda. I want to do more stuff for Kill Team, um, and even like make my own games up of stuff that I've bought or randomly made. I'm a big fan of XCOM. I know this is a 40k channel, but I'm a big fan of XCOM, and I want to play some XCOM stuff. Um, and there's things out there that I can use and make um, but certainly from a, a workshop point of view because I think the painting phase predominantly is quite 40k orientated um, is yeah de definitely tick a lot of or scratch a lot of those itches of like narrative things on the peripherals um, maybe even do like a 3D um, black blackstone fortress style board so it's not like card tiles mm. it's actual physical built-in scenery um and use the tiles as an example and then just build the physical version of it um so yeah i've got got plenty i know of um one like pretty wild idea that i've had that i'd love to do for a necromunda game one day is um taking the concept of a rolling road mission mm. that you have in like a lot of other games um i mean i know like ash waste for example has this now but yeah um doing this with the underhive setting mm. and having the rolling road uh, mechanic work in a vertical plane 
so uh, the way good. you do yeah. it yeah the way you do it is you would have um a board tile so like a 12 by 12 inch square you'd have like four or five of them um stacked yeah. like vertically probably in something like a magnet rack or um mm. i always look at these like um vertical hobby shelves you can buy from you know like any sort of storage shop but then just take the actual shelves out and then you've got the little rack <laughs> in it yeah. and you can put each t- uh, board tile on each level of the rack That's then every every turn or whatever you know denominator of time within the scenario um you take off the bottom shelf yeah with like everything in its current game state do and then move all the shelves down one yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and then That's introduce kind of... a new tile on the top, um, the top row, and basically, obviously, all your necromunda fighters are all trying to keep their way up the tower as the yeah, tiles yeah. going down, so they don't drop off the bottom if it's like a collapsing hive or a flooding hive or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like is it a player unknown battlegrounds where it like eventually just shrinks the map does or like the area you can be in strings and you end up like getting really concentrated on like one spot in the middle. That's something I've always fancied doing in a game. Is, like, <laughs> Funnily you... enough, that that was almost one of the scenarios from the narrative event last weekend. Um, so oh, it was really? a 40k uh, game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So as a, as a 40k game, um, one of the theatres of war from the recent, um, it was the, I think it was the Rift War um, Warzone book um, from like right. six months ago or whatever. Uh, one of the features of law for that is that um, there's like an increasing um, di- an increasing radius from the table edge of an area that inflicts multiple wounds at the start of the turn. Ah, so that. like at yeah, the start yeah. at the start of the first turn, any units within three inches of the table edge, so the D3 multiple wounds, and you add three inches to that range, like every turn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's like a secondary layer, so like by turn three. If you're within three inches of the table edge, you take like d6 bottle wounds instead, or like 2d3 yeah. instead, and uh, yeah, it becomes yeah, harsher yeah, and harsher. Yeah. So the armies are forced um, into the uh, like the center of the table to avoid being harmed by the encroaching aura of mortal wounds from the table edges. Mm. Um, uh. Which, funnily enough, the narrative reasoning for that would have been in the Rift War book was it was meant to be um, uh, a chaos ship that has literally got like a mutated jaw on it and it's like it's clamped onto another ship and it's crushing it as it's, uh, it's trying yeah, to like eat yeah. it so like the, the, uh, the environment's getting like smaller that. and smaller yeah yeah i, I had um, a game system i made myself ages ago it's, it's not, not like a workshop based game system but i i Battlefleet Gothic could work quite well with it. Uh, I made like a load of ships, I had a big space map, and I made a physical ship. It was just like cardboard tiles and, and whatever. But I had like a representation of that ship on the star map. So I had like this, uh, to one side of my table was like a floor plan of the ship with your crew in it on the bridge. There's the engineering, there's the medical base and stuff like that. And I had the star map with like a Battlefleet Gothic game going on. Um, and when your ship got hit on the side, it would affect the side. You have to roll for damage, and like you might get like I don't know a section on the ship where it's like suddenly like a breach, and then the doors have to breach down, and some of your crew might get sucked out into space. But then, depending on which side, like the boarding torpedoes would hit, would affect where on the ship they they would connect. So you'd, you'd have to position your crew around the ship but also when it's taking damage you've got to fix it you've got to get your commander if your commander's on the bridge then he can do more commands 
But if he's busy fighting the baddies, there's less commands that can be done. If your engineer is down in the engineering place, he can fix it. But if he's on the bridge issuing orders and dealing with like all the other crews, um, so that was something I wanted to do with 40k. How you know how do I go about doing that? Obviously with board and action, those titles, you're like, well, I could probably you know scratch together like a, a spaceship or have something you, like that. Have you ever thought about going back over previous editions to use some of the rule sets to influence and no, it's like actually, no, I'm not. to to yeah, to it's not a bad show. Create things. So, for example, the century rules in this is showing my age, but the century rules in fourth ed are really yes, good. I know which ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, is that a possibility you might be interested in? Uh, like just to flick through and go, oh, they're yeah. really cool. So I mean, I'll port those in. I mean, that's a great thing, isn't it? Really, it's like no one really says you can't do that, but weirdly, people feel that you shouldn't mm. do that. But there's nothing to stop you um, taking those rules because they're all legit rules. I mean, that's the thing. It's like I'm a big fan of, I think, third edition Warhammer, um, third or fourth edition, um, because it was the size, the scale, and your champions weren't just an upgrade to the unit. There was a separate person you bought and equipped with like magical armor, magical weapons, and then placed in your units. Um, and you could have like, there was like a little monster bestry. So I had dwarfs. Um, and at the end, you could, you could buy a manticore. You could buy a swarm of spiders if you wanted. I was like, that's cool. Why, you know, it's like loads of little things. And like, you know, when you go about equipping them with different marines or magic items, it felt a lot more customizable. Um, but then I really like the stuff that says that not, you're right. It's like a nice, choice i guess uh depending on how you want to do it um how you want to play them and then you've got things like Warcry, kill team necromunda for me kill team's fun but necromunda scratches more at the narrative and the minutiae and i i i know i'm going on um so i had this 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 notion of doing like moving marines right and having like three or two space marines um building them up and having like endless swarms, I, I guess dark tides help you know, embolden this in my head. So you'd have like a squad, and it don't have to be Marines, it could be like RBTs or like Scions and stuff. Um, but they're elite and you want them to survive longer. And I had this notion of like going down the route of uh, Inquisitor rules, but making them a bit more freeform, a bit more um, less complex. And it wasn't until recently, I, was, I can't remember what the dice is for, but what I wanted was a table of different body parts and when they got hit different things could happen so you don't just like take a wound and you die you, it depends where you've been hit what's been hit and how it affects the rest of that game and i found a d20 um that it's either a d20 or a d12 uh, that has pictures of a human body but different explosions on different no, parts of the body that's awesome uh, no. so it's like one that's like the groin one that's like the left hand one that's like the right hand and i was like i can do this game now where when you get shot and it says successful hit, you roll on this dice. It's like you've been hit in the head. Roll on the head section to see what happens. Eye injury minus one to your ballistic skill. You're like, oh no! So that's now going to affect you. And that's it gets amazing. a point where you. Oh, where do you get those? And I want one. That'd be great to get from <laughs> under. Or, or... <laughs> Wait, well, I saw it on Wailing Games because I was uh, trawling through uh, to see what kind of scenery they had. That's where I saw the treasure crates or terrain crates, and I was just saw yeah. dice, and I was just like, oh, I'll look at dice because my kid likes dice. And I just saw this like D20 with like, I think it's like red, black, white, different versions of it. And I was like, I need, I need to get some of these because this is, this could make that happen. I could do movie Marines with just a dice roll and like a chart. If, um, if you do movie Marines, will you have the LAS cannon that works like a bolt thrower? Because that was one of the coolest <laughs> things. <Yeah. laughs> it was one of the coolest things. Yeah. 
yeah <laughs> i'm in for that but yeah. th- that's the other thing as well is like um you the enemy it's not about you, you're going to kill hundreds of enemies it's, it's about how long you can survive as the so what because i did a james bond game years ago and it was probably going to use a similar sort of mindset which is i play the baddies and my friends play the agents and you're gonna win but it's how many survive and how long it takes you to do the job and how you know did you mm. did you actually do everything did you succeed everything did that guy get assassinated but you still stop the bomb from blowing up blowing up or whatever so it's that kind of thing where the marines are going to win because the enemies are there to slow them down they're kind of speed bumps but it's like how many marines made it and did you actually secure the bridge or did you so it's kind of like i guess down you know scratching it like <laughs> space hawk but you know going a bit more in depth of that but just yeah not having like loads of like complex rules it's just like you roll a dice and then you can sort the chart and then see what happens uh, it might be a d6 involved like head roll a d6 oh i injury minus one ballistic skill oh damn it i have to just scrub that out now now ballistic skill like naff uh, so I've, i'm i'm literally can't shoot i might as well just pull my knife out um but yeah like leg injuries can slow you down arm injuries can you know ruin your, your ability to fight in combat if you if your weapons in your left hand and you lo- and you lose your left hand you can't fight your melee weapon you have to fight your pistol but your pistols run out of ammo can you reload it no you need your mate to reload it so you have to use an action of your mate to reload your pistol for you so it's all those kind of level of like details um getting carried away <laughs> oh i love it it's very um it's very inquisitor 54 which yeah, is very yeah. very cool and like yeah. like you said that thinking about it you could even do like i vaguely remember uh late rogue trader having for a vehicle chart you would roll like a grid reference and it would select uh, where it would yes. be in the drawing which is quite cool yeah. so it's a similar kind of thing but obviously a lot less complicated with the yeah yeah the dice yeah. rolling which is yeah. cool yeah that's it for me it's streamlined in it yeah same <laughs> i remember um in one of the um uh, 40k roleplay games from uh, Fantasy Flight, um, the only war system where you play as guardsmen. Um, mm. That has a uh, system for designating hits to body parts because one, you could try and call shots in that, you know, so you could try to aim for that particular body parts. Uh, okay, also, yeah, yeah. When you get hit, um, you, you work out where you get hit. There was a, because it was all done on a percentile system, so everything's D100 rolls. What you mm. do is um, when when your character got hit by an attack, um, you inverted the number to work out where you got hit. So if the enemy hit you on a 74, you would look yeah. for uh, position 47 on the chart and That's that would clever. tell you yeah. which body part got hit. Um, and there was, a, there was a critical hit table to cross-reference based on which body part got hit. So like there was a, a critical hit table for being hit in the head critical hit table right. for being hit in the leg you know yeah. and, and one been hit in the arm and so on um but also cross-referenced against uh what type of weapon it was so there was like a critical yeah. hit table for plasma weapons planar weapons oh, all right. weapons. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. um i remember we like in one session we played years and years and years ago we had um, a plasma gunner who scored a critical hit on an orc um on his head um, but the funny thing was, uh, so the damage from the hit wasn't enough to kill the orc knob, so he didn't right. kill him, but he caused a critical hit on his head with a plasma weapon, and the result was basically his head just spontaneously like a mustard. <laughs> he just caught fire. Um, so 
it didn't it didn't kill this old knob, but instead obviously he just went off running into the distance, you know, flailing yeah, yeah. away, trying to put his head out. He was on fire yeah. and horribly scared. Yeah, that's gonna fire. Um, that's gonna hurt. And then, yeah. Um and then as as any good GM would, uh, I think a couple of like sessions later I had that horribly scarred orc knob reappear as a returning NPC because he just had this horribly, you know, scarred and half melted orc face as a result. And he yeah. he, he had a, a, a grudge to settle with those cardsmen. I bet he did. You can't miss him in a crowd either. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I love... Sometimes, oh. you know, I like scratching it, making things a little more detailed, but not too complicated. But yeah, that... Yeah, I need to do more roleplay. I think that's something I've learned mm. over the last few years. I mean, I've not done enough roleplay. My my favourite thing about the Only War system... So, because the idea is that you're all playing guardsmen in, mm. you know, the, the 41st millennium, but you're all playing player characters, you know, so you, you can't just have every character dying in total party wipes every session. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> what would happen instead was uh, every character has a comrade uh, so basically okay. you have like a secondary guardsman character with you who's like yeah. the red shirt <laughs> so every time uh, whenever you were in combat any time an enemy attack would roll a hit roll against you of a double it didn't hit you yeah. it hit your comrade uh, and comrades okay. only had yeah Comrades only had three states of being. They were either uninjured, injured, or dead. Oh, cool. yeah. <laughs> um, so literally, they could like they could take one hit and survive, and if it took a second hit, they died. So yeah. basically, almost every session, most players' comrades would be dying or barely surviving. So you had that sense of an attrition rate in a guardian yeah, squad yeah. without your player characters dying every session. Oh, that's cool. Did, did, did they have like a 15 hour kind of thing as well because you know they say 15 hours is the life expectancy of guards when each game you play you're getting closer to your 15 hours you're like oh no we're getting close to dying <laughs> how long have I got left um, before I'm officially supposed to be dead that, that would be yeah like, see what happens. It's, there's some brilliant stuff in that game so I'd really like to revive it and you know, maybe do something mm. on the channel with it in the future I think it'd be brilliant that would be quite yeah. cool, especially but, with that tank, that that tank crew idea that you had earlier. That would be quite cool to do. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fury meets a bane blade. I'm afraid, Peachy. As much as I would love to just keep talking with you for hours on end about all these <laughs> uh, wonderful ideas and madcap solutions you've got for things, um, like, we're, we're running out of time, <laughs> really. So uh, before uh, we wrap everything up and. Uh, <laughs> Before we wrap everything up and um, finish everything out for tonight, do you want to just uh, give us some last little uh, updates for where people can find you these days and the sort of things you're doing? Yeah. You know, um, where there's so, social media and everything else. I have a Twitter account and a, an Instagram account, and it's uh, at Peachy Tips. Um, they usually have like some hyphens before it because for some reason Peachy Tips is already taken by someone else. Uh, but you'll be able to tell because I have a Necromunda Arbite's face. Um, it looks like me, um, so it's a piece of art that was passed on to me ages ago. So that's my my Twitter and Instagram, um, and then I have a YouTube channel uh, called The Painting Phase, and it's a mix of chats. We always put a chat out on a Monday, um, and then usually, sometimes twice a week, mostly once a week, we have a painting guide. Um, sometimes it might be a battle report as well. So we we have a nice bit of a variety of content, and of course we have Patreon as well, where we have lots of different tiers, and we 
you know give you different benefits um, and one of them is feedback and the other one is you know get get me on a screen for two hours teaching you how to paint or helping you with your painting it's the peachy tips tier so if you if you ever needed any sort of like how do i paint an army really fast you can have me for two hours uh, and I'll try my best to help you. <laughs> and I, I, thought you were so gonna, I thought you were going to say, and I'll paint it for you in those two. And I'll paint it for you. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, sorry, I'm going to waffle a second. But I've been thinking about doing a charity event where I'm just like, I, you can have me for 12 hours. I'll do whatever. I'd be very <laughs> careful on the wording on that. Well, I know, I know. Hobby related. Hobby related. <laughs> but I'm not above washing pots either. I can wash pots. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was it was a it was a thought I'd do the day going. That'd be quite good fun. Just like you know, go around someone's house and help paint an army with them. Um, as a, as a sort of a charity thing. Um, but yeah, you've got to be careful. You don't go to a murderer's house. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's always a thing. But no, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's been it's been great. Just to chew the fat, talk about hobby, talk about narrative. Um, and now I'm kind of like, oh, I need to revisit that army, and oh, I need to add that. Oh, I never finished that unit. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, so yeah, giving myself a big list of things to do now. Thanks. <laughs> must right. have a game against. Yeah, must play a game against Wade Splash Terrors one day. Oh God, yeah, absolutely. I need to need to make that happen. Uh, it's got to do. I'll just get him on the show. I'll just say, get yourself fired and come on the show, and then go back. <laughs> well um I've, i hope um, you know some of the listeners have enjoyed you know listening to everything we've been talking about tonight and been able to pick your brain for stuff and maybe they've got some uh, inspirational ideas of their own now i hope so i hope i'm bored of them. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah it's, it's a, but thank you very much for coming on doing this um and i look forward to everything else that you're putting out in the future yeah, thank you very much for having me, and I shall see you round. I'm doing the wave, no one can see the wave, but I'm doing the wave. So, until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40 games.